Thanks for listening to The Chapel Podcast. At The Chapel Church, our passion is to share the hope of Jesus to individuals, the community, and the world. Listen in as Pastor Brandon Joyner shares an encouraging and challenging message from God's Word. If God within His sovereign grace gives you, if you are not married yet or you have not had kids yet, and God in His sovereign grace allows you to have children, it is one of the greatest blessings that your marriage can experience, that your family can experience. And so with that being said, you will learn very quickly multiple things when your children are born. Number one, you'll learn how selfish you are. You don't get sleep like you did at one particular time in your life. One of the things you'll learn that's very key to having a successful family is timing, the proper timing on certain things. So for example, if you and your spouse uh, or just you by yourself want to be able to have some ice cream during your quiet time on the couch after the children go to bed, guess what? You're not going to mention it in front of them. Because if you mention it in front of them, they're going to want to join you, and it ruins your plan of having some quiet time. Uh, on Mondays, I typically take the day off from ministry, and, I, and, and you know, contrary to popular belief by a couple of you, I do work more than Sundays throughout the week. Uh, TJ's not here, my brother-in-law. There's reasons for that. Um, but he always gives me a hard time about only working on Sundays, right? Well, Mondays is typically where I set aside as family day. And so usually on Mondays, what, uh, what we try to do is every time we're together as a family, majority of the time we sit at the table and we have a meal together as a family. It's a time where we can talk to each other. And so lunches are like a free-for-all. Usually Kaysen likes corn dogs, and so we go cook him a corn dog. And Emerson loves peanut butter and jelly. She loves her carbs. Uh, and so she gets a peanut butter and jelly, and usually we're eating leftovers out of the refrigerator. Well, Emerson loves to eat grapes as well. Emerson being two years old, she is not as advanced in her decision-making abilities. And so what we do is we start them off with just her main course first. Because if I was to put the peanut butter jelly on her plate and the grapes, she's going to eat all the grapes first and not eat her, as healthy as I guess it is, her peanut butter and jelly first. And so me, being the more mature person, the more mature decision maker, I have every right as the leader of our home, as the father, to bring my plate to the table and eat my sandwich and my grapes at the same time. I have every right to do so because I, in my decision, can eat both of them. But out of a love for my younger, weaker daughter, I leave the grapes in the kitchen. And I come to the table and she eats her sandwich and I only have my sandwich that I eat. Because if I was to bring my grapes to the table, she's going to see those grapes and it's going to cause her to stumble in her decision-making abilities of eating what she ought to eat. Take your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 14 as we continue our study through the book of Romans. Romans chapter 14, as many of you know, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans on this subject of the gospel. And we are specifically focusing what the Apostle Paul has to say in Romans 14 and 15 when it talks about harmony within the local church, harmony within the local church. I pray that some of you have not been part of a church that's experienced a split, but some of you have at least heard people that have experienced splits. And some of them, no church split is ever good. And some of them are like, okay, I I understand that. They started straying doctrinally. As I shared last week, there's other times where churches split over something ridiculous. As I shared last week, there were some members of a church that left because the coffee was too strong. And I shared... Imagine being in heaven and standing there next to the Apostle Paul having a conversation with him, and he asks you, so why did you leave that church? Oh, because the coffee was too strong. It's silly. But there were some serious problems that were going on here in Romans chapter 14. The overall theme of this book is the gospel. 
It is sharing the gospel. We understand that every single mankind, every single man and, and woman that was ever born was born in sin other than Jesus Christ. And so therefore, every person is on their way to hell. They do not deserve any grace from God whatsoever, but God, knowing our need, understanding our sinful needs, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. It is only through Christ and Christ alone in which our relationship with God can be restored. It is not by going to church. It's not by doing good works. It's not by voting. It's not by doing anything outside of Jesus Christ. It is only in Christ alone that our relationship with God can be restored. The first half of the book of Romans deals with mankind's problem and God's solution for that, and that's the only hope that we find in Jesus Christ. The second half of the book of Romans talks about the gospel's effect upon mankind. As we come into chapter 14 and 15, if you have not received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, none of this matters. There's no effect on this uh, on you whatsoever. And unfortunately, what most people do, a lot of people, is they trip up. They have this head knowledge of what salvation is, but this heart knowledge is not there. This heart acceptance, I should say, is not there. For example, you can know the facts all day long. Jesus Christ came to earth. He died on the cross for me. But until it transfers from your head to a heart knowledge, you are not a genuine Christian. You are not a genuine follower of Christ. Genuine Christianity involves repentance. It involves repentance. And so many people in our society today trip up on that word repentance. But what is repentance? It is a turning away. It is a change of a mindset. You were born without this relationship with God. Some people say, I don't, I don't need God. But the moment you realize it's because of my sin, I don't have a relationship with God. It's, it's me. It's on me. Jesus Christ came to earth to die on the cross for me. And you turn away from your sinful lifestyle and you accept the gift in which Jesus Christ has done for us. That's repentance. And it is the fruit of that. It is evidence and shown forth in the way you act after that point. Salvation is not based upon works, but when you receive Christ, there will be evidence of your genuine conversion by the fruits, by the choices, by the desire that you have to follow Christ and to love Him. That is what Romans is talking about. So the first half of Romans deals with this reality. The second half of Romans deals with how we can become a better Christian. As we come into chapter 14, Paul takes the remaining time within this fifth section to address the importance of the overall unity. As we discovered last week, there are certain convictions that people have that are not necessarily laid out in Scripture. Matter of fact, God gives us liberty on certain issues as we grow, as we grow in grace. And as we grow, our convictions change. I dare say that some of you that were newer in your Christian faith have different convictions now, now that you're an older, more mature Christian. The point that Paul makes in verses 1 through 12 of Romans 14 is not to judge the weaker or the newer Christian based upon their certain convictions. Paul says, give them room to grow. Give them room to grow. That's what we talked about last week. As we progress through chapter 14, we find ourselves in verses 13 through 23. The Apostle Paul further clarifies what he says in the previous verses. In essence, Paul says, just because you have Christian liberty, that does not mean that your rights override your responsibility to, to love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you could stand with me out of respect of God's Word, we're going to read our passage this morning, Romans chapter 14, verses 13 down to 23. It says, let us therefore, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. 
I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, thou, now thou walkest, thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that is in these things serveth Christ acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, there are things wherewith one may edify another, for meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor to anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is of sin. As I opened this morning, I shared the illustration of our lunches at home. I said, I have every right as the more mature leader of the home to eat my grapes with my sandwich, but because I love my daughter and I want her to eat her sandwich first, and she could not handle both of them being in front of her as we trained her through this, I set aside my right to eat my grapes at the same time as my sandwich. In our Christian life today, sometimes we need to set aside our rights for our weaker brother and sister. Through our text this morning, we will discover Paul's command to not allow our Christian liberty to be a stumbling block to our weaker brother and sister. The title of the message this morning is Living in Grace While Maintaining Christian Liberty. Thank you. you may be seated. Living in Grace While Maintaining Our Christian Liberty. Is it possible to have different standards and still live in harmony? Absolutely. Luke has lower standards in the fact that he is a Giants fan, a football fan of the, the New York Giants, but we still live in harmony even though he's further back in his sanctification process. Well, of course, the answer to this is yes, we know this. Within these verses, the Apostle Paul is not commanding the more mature Christians to change their standards but rather to set aside their Christian liberty for the sake of their brother and sister. So what we're going to discover this morning in this passage are three ways to live in grace while maintaining your Christian liberty. So the first thing we see here is this. Don't allow your Christian liberty to be a stumbling block. Don't allow your Christian liberty to be a stumbling block. Look at verse 13. He says, Let us therefore not, or let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge rather this, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. There's two different judges there. You see the judge word twice. There's actually a play on words in which Paul is doing. In the first context, it's in a negative form. He's saying, do not judge another brother anymore. It's in a negative form. In other words, do not look upon somebody because they have different sets of standards than you do and condemn them for it. He says, rather, in a positive sense, judge this rather that you don't put a stumbling block in front of your brother. That second judge is of a different context. It means to resolve. In other words, figure this out yourself. And see what the Apostle Paul is doing there? He's changing the attention that we would have on somebody else and flipping it to the attention upon our own selves. Quit worrying about what other people do and the choices that they're making and the lifestyle that they're living and start focusing on how you're living and to see if your lifestyle is actually tripping up others that are weaker in the faith. The Apostle Paul does just a switch there in order for us to think about ourselves. He says, instead of asking, what kind of faults can I find in the other believer? Ask, how will my actions affect the other believers? So then the question is, what is a stumbling block? 
what makes a stumbling block. A stumbling block is anything that a believer does, even if Scripture permits for them to do so, that would cause another to violate their conscience before God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. But let's take a moment and dissect this a little further. When we, t- when we typically think of a stumbling block, we think of it as being something that could f- cause someone to fall into a deeper sin based on the fact that they do not have self-control over that. I use this example often, but I'll use it again. Um, let's, let's go to the example of alcohol. It's one of those hot-button topics within Christianity. When we typically think of, of, of a stumbling block aspect, what we do is you say, listen, I'm not going to offer or drink in front of this other Christian because they may actually drink, become addicted to the taste of alcohol, and therefore become a drunk or an alcoholic. So what we're doing is we're not setting out this stumbling block in front of them by the mere fact that they may actually fall into sin. And so what we begin to do is justify how we can maintain our Christian liberty without causing them to sin. And so, listen, if if that's all it is, then I won't offer them something to drink, but I can talk about it and I can joke about it in front of them because, listen, you can't get drunk off a conversation about it. And so what we do with that particular understanding is we start acting as if we are the Holy Spirit in their lives. We're trying to help them understand, listen, just learn to drink wine. Just drink wine. You won't get drunk if you just drink one. And we start convincing them in their own mind that they can do these certain things. Is that what really a stumbling block is or the proper definition of it? And it's actually not. The Bible says a stumbling block is anything that would cause a fellow Christian to violate their very conscience. It is literally... If I was to merely talk about it and paint it in a positive light, whatever the case may be, and it causes that Christian to stumble because now their conscience has been violated, the Apostle Paul says to avoid it. You may have that set of standard and you may, from a biblical standpoint in in your research and done everything you can to say, listen, I, I can do this without violating the scriptures. That's good for you, but that's not the conclusion that everybody else has within the Christian realm. So therefore, don't even talk about it. As for the sake of causing them to stumble. Don't allow your Christian liberty to stumble. Paul talks about this in verse 14. He says, he uses the example of the dietary restrictions as we discovered last week. He says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. As we mentioned last week, this particular church, the church in Rome, was consistent of two major groups. You had the Jews and you had the Gentiles. Within those two groups, you had new converts. You had some of the Jews that were newly converted, but they still held to the dietary restrictions underneath the Mosaic law. We understand in the, in the New Testament that you can still, you can eat pork now. That's okay. God has, or Jesus Christ has cleansed that. You can eat pork, but that's okay. But some of the newly converted Jews held to that and believed that it was actually wrong for them to break the dietary restrictions within the law. On the flip side of that, you had a group of Gentiles that consisted in the church. And some of the newly converted Gentiles would not eat meat that was given and offered to idols. As I shared last week, part of that particular historical context is they would go down to the market and they would have their fruit stands and all their different vendors, and that's how they would grocery shop. Well, some of their meat vendors, their meat stands, offered and sold meat that was offered to idols. The Gentiles 
coming out of that pagan uh, system, that pagan religion, had a conviction of eating meat that was offered to idols. We understand in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul specifically talks about in 1 Corinthians, that it doesn't matter. You can still eat that meat. It doesn't matter. But there was that tension that was going on based upon the convictions that some of those new converts had. And so there was some fighting that was going on. The Apostle Paul says in verse 14, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there was nothing unclean in and of itself. Now the Apostle Paul, for him to say that, that shows some severe evidence of spiritual growth in his own part. But what was the Apostle Paul before he was converted? He was a devout Jewish person. So he held to all the dietary restrictions. And for him to say, I am fully persuaded in my mind that it is okay for me to eat these things, that shows evidence in the spiritual growth of Paul. But he says, some of your brothers and sisters aren't at that point yet. Don't force it on them. Don't cause them to violate their conscience. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Christ. As we grow, the revelation comes through who? Jesus Christ and their spiritual growth. It doesn't come through you forcing them to violate their conscience. Now, when Paul uses the phrase, there is nothing clean in of itself, it's in relation to meat. We understand that. After stating this fact, Paul then delivers an admonition to the stronger believer in verse 15. Look at what it says. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Some pretty strong words. If your brother and your sister is not on the same level with you spiritually, do not force your Christian liberty of what you believe is true upon them. The Apostle Paul literally says to not destroy them with your meat. That's in reference to their spiritual growth. Do not cause them to violate their conscience. Take a, a step backwards spiritually because you were trying to usurp your Christian liberty upon them. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8-13 through 13 says, But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee, which thou hast knowledge, sit at the meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish, for whom Christ died? But when ye sin so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Paul says in verse 15, as well as 1 Corinthians 8, that rather than trying to prove your rights as a Christian in regard to your Christian liberty, choose to love the weaker brother instead. He goes on to say in verse 15 that failing to love your weaker brother could seriously damage their spiritual growth. As Christians, sometimes we have to stop trying to prove our Christian liberty. We have to become mature enough in our faith to realize that not every single person is at the same level spiritually. They haven't come to the same conclusions. And so rather than trying to be the Holy Spirit for them, let love get them to the point where they figure out this Christian liberty thing themselves and you're not forcing your rights upon them. Paul says that while we do have Christian liberty, we can actually do more harm than good. Look at verse 16. Paul says, let not your good be evil spoken of. What is Paul saying here? Don't let your good, which is your rightful exercise of Christian liberty, he's literally saying don't let it be blasphemous. 
say, well, that seems a little harsh. What does the word, what does the word blasphemy or blasphemous mean? The act of showing contempt or a lack of reverence to a deity or something considered sacred or inviolable. Paul says that when a stronger Christian causes a weaker brother to stumble, they are in essence showing an irreverence towards God by causing that weaker Christian to violate his own conscience before God. So yes, a misuse of your Christian liberty is a serious offense to God. Brings us to our second point here this morning. To justify your liberty is to miss the kingdom of God. To justify your liberty is to miss the kingdom of God. Look at verse 17. It says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, before we go any further, we have to define what is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the realm in which God rules. And now that we are underneath this covenant of grace, those that are Christians, those that are genuine followers of Christ, is the method in which God rules this kingdom here on earth. He rules through us. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God, it is all those things that pertain into God's overall ruling. And so when he says here, listen, meat and drink is not part of the kingdom of God. So why are we making it such a big issue sometimes? Why are we acting like this is one of the, uh, this is one of the spiritual things that we must follow and therefore usurping our Christian liberty at the sake of our weaker brother and sister? The, Jesus Christ says, listen, my kingdom of this world is not of this world. It is something far greater than that. So Paul then follows, once we understand this, he says, it's not of meat and it is not of drink. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. He says, righteousness refers to holy and obedient living. Peace is in reference to the loving tranquility that is produced in the heart of believers. That is joy in the Spirit. He goes on to say in verse 18, that those are the things we have to focus on. But in verse 18, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and he's approved of men. What does this phrase, approved of men, mean? If it's in reference to a careful examination. When my wife and I um, got engaged, I purchased her engagement ring from Jared's. And one of the things that Jared's does, and I think a lot of jewelry stores offer this, is they give you um, free lifetime cleanings on the ring. And so I take it in there once a year. Uh, should be a little bit more faithful than that, but we try to take it in there once a year, and we hand it to the jeweler. And what does that jeweler do? He takes that ring back over to his room and he puts it underneath this special light. And then he takes this little tiny magnifying glass and he zooms in on that ring. What he's doing is he's approving the authenticity, the character, and the integrity of that ring. What the Apostle Paul is saying here, that you must set aside your Christian liberty to uphold your weaker brother for the sake of harmony, he's saying when you do so, you are then approved of men. Because literally what the people are doing in this world is they are taking a magnifying glass upon the church and they are trying to find a fault within the church. And when churches are fighting and they're quarreling over many different issues and they're causing each other to stumble over other issues because they're trying to usurp their Christian liberty, the world sits back and says, see, I told you, they're just like us. They fight and they bicker. Why would I want to be like them? They're just like us. That's the term approved that he's talking about here in this particular passage. As we continue on in this particular study, he says in verse 19, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things therewith one may edify. This should be our pursuit, not to prove our rights to fellow Christians. Our job as Christians is not to convince someone of a political affiliation. That's not our job. But sometimes churches can get caught up in that. 
They equate Republicans as being Christians and Democrats as being unsaved, which that is not the case at all whatsoever. But there's little things creep into the church, and it takes people's attention off the sake of the gospel. Paul concludes with this thought in this section, verses 20 through 21. He says, For me, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Paul agrees with you that your conviction and your standard does not destroy the kingdom of God. The different aspects that fall within our Christian liberty in and of itself do not destroy the kingdom of God. But when it's promoted at the sake of our weaker brother and sister, that's when it becomes a problem. Which leads us to our third point here this morning. We strive for the pleasure of God in all of your actions. In verse 22, Paul states, Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself, and that thing which he alloweth. The phrase there, hast thou have faith, he is actually referring to the stronger brother and sister. He's saying, listen, if you've done your research and you've, and you've studied your Bible and you come to the conclusion based upon this particular element within Christianity and you believe that you can do this and participate in it without violating the word of God, then happy are you. Praise the Lord for that. Paul says, I am literally happy that you have Christian liberty, but do not abuse it because not everybody is at the same level. He says, happy is he that condemneth not himself and that thing which he alloweth. And we conclude with this verse in verse 23. He says, and he that doubteth is damned if he eat because he eateth not of faith for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Paul concludes by reminding the readers that those who partake in something that violates their conscience, they sin. So in your pursuit of Christianity, in your pursuit of all things holy and righteous, follow God. I'm going to conclude this illustration. I use my kids a lot because it's fun to be able to watch them because I, I see a lot of elements in their helplessness with me and my own Christianity. My son uh, is four years old, and so he's, he's getting stronger. And we'll a lot of times come home, and we have to walk up the stairs to our uh, back deck, and we go through the back door usually. And so we tell Kaysen to take his stuff inside. And so the other day, he grabbed his stuff, and I loaded it on there for him, and he's carrying it, and he's, he's barely able to hold what he's carrying. And as he's carrying it, he's got this tremendous load upon him, and he's trying to navigate the next steps in front of him, and I'm there, much bigger and much stronger, watching him carry it. I have some things in my hands, and I could do one of two things. I could, in my mind, believe that he can carry more, and therefore take the load out of my hands, and make his load heavier. And as I do so, that's not going to make his job easier because he has to climb stairs. He gets to the edge there, and I just loaded him up because I believe in my mind he can handle it. He gets to the edge of those stairs, and he, he can't climb up those stairs. He's tripping, and he's falling left and right. Me being the stronger, more mature person that, that I am compared to my son, I say, you know what, he needs some help. So I take some of the load off of him and I put it upon myself and I help him go up the stairs and I set aside my thought of me thinking he can actually handle more and I actually help him get up the stairs without increasing his load. In our Christian life, we may think that the other person would be okay with our same set of standards, but sometimes they're just not ready for that yet. It would be a violation of their conscience. And so rather us trying to usurp our own rights of what we believe is true, with things regarding Scripture that are not clearly laid out in Scripture, let's help our brothers and sisters grow in grace. 
Let's help them become more like Christ and set aside our own rights for the sake of our weaker brother and sister.